Teaching is our passion. We at the Wall Street Skinny are proud to announce that we've joined the advisory board for the iConnections Funds for Teachers initiative, focused on supporting the Ron Clark Academy and its pioneering teaching methods. Through Funds for Teachers, iConnections is dedicated to empowering educators nationwide by providing access to RCA's professional development opportunities. Events are being organized in major cities throughout the year to fundraise and support this incredibly important cause. All proceeds from these events will be directly donated to the Ron Clark Academy, specifically to financially aid teachers so they can participate in RCA's groundbreaking training programs. Please click on the link in our show notes to register for an event in the city nearest you. This is The Wall Street Skinny, a podcast devoted to exploring the financial services industry and making the world of Wall Street accessible to everyone. Hey guys, welcome back to The Wall Street Skinny. I'm Jen. I'm Kristen. And welcome to our first, what we are going to try to do today, a skinny mini. Today is Wednesday, December 6th, 2023. And for those of you who are taking notes, we said at the end of our holiday episode two weeks ago that we were taking a break for the entire month of December so we could focus on the rest of our business. But that plan literally lasted all of about five minutes. So Jen and I had talked with this actually a long time ago that we wanted to try doing, and Jen thought she was super clever with the term skinny mini. She loves her puns. Again, our English major. <laughs> But um, the idea was we wanted to do these little 15-minute episodes where we would try to tackle a small but timely subject or answer more listener questions from social media, things like that. But there's just not enough hours in the day to cover everything we want to talk about or, I mean, let alone go an entire month without doing an episode. Plus, I mean, look, we've had such amazing feedback and we just we want to keep the momentum going. But I know, anyway, I know. So- we, like, And again, guys, one of the reasons we wanted to take the month of December off is because our kids obviously are going to be on holiday break soon. So it's going to be mm. unmitigated chaos over the holidays with the kids out of school trying to record a podcast. I don't have any help at home. So like, (laughs) well, I don't think it's funny because I don't think anyone prepares you for what it is like having kids. It's funny because back, I'm going to rewind to when you and I I think we're first year analysts and we're on, on the desk. And I remember seeing my MDs going home at like six o'clock and I'm thinking, wow, they don't work. They're going to go home and like get in a bubble bath and pet their child as they go to bed. I wish that I had a camera that would just follow me around and show the unmitigated chaos that is my house all the time. This is life with kids, right? You wake Uh up to a screaming child. First thing that they do, my daughter, she poops every morning. So I have to freaking change a diaper as she's screaming her head off because she doesn't like to get changed. Then it's my other kid is screaming her head off because she can't find her freaking bunny called Hoppy, who she is obsessed with. And it is her comfort animal, but she loses him. And it'll be like right under her feet. She's like, I can't find Hoppy. And I'm just like, oh my God, I'm trying to do stuff like get food for the kids or clean up the freaking tornado disaster. I mean, honestly, guys, it is one thing after the next all the time. And it's whack-a-mole. One kid is upset, you comfort them, and then the next kid is upset, and you literally get nothing done. And so I just like want to issue a formal apology to the 
MDs who I used to see going home being like, wow, they don't work. Because what you're not seeing is they're basically like putting out fires while also trying to reply to emails. Well, in the middle of the night, they're probably getting woken up. You're sort of lying there and it's like the shining, like a child is standing over you. Like, (laughs) I can't, you know, whatever the problem is at 2 a.m., And I mean, this is, again, life with kids is fucking chaos. And so anyway, we didn't have, our nanny was getting a colonoscopy last Friday. I probably shouldn't give that much information about a poor nanny. Our nanny had to take last Friday off. She's like, oh, nice relaxing day. I know. It's it's a refreshing break (laughs) from watching these kids. I know. (laughs) One of the things that I've always kind of thought is that being an investment banking analyst is literally preparing you to have kids because you are (laughs) being met with the most unreasonable demands all the time. My daughter literally said to me, she was like, it's raining out. I don't like the rain. And I was like, well, I don't control that. She says, well, who does? Acting like it's my fault, you know, that it's raining. Your kids have unreasonable demands all the time. They're going to wake you up at all hours of the night. So you're not going to get freaking sleep. Literally every single thing that you laugh about as a banker, just wait. That is what you're going to be dealing with when you have kids. You're not going to have that senior MD giving you unreasonable demands. It's going to be your freaking child. So anyway. Exactly. Your kids are the most demanding MD and you're going to be working for them for at least 18 years. It's funny because talking about being a first year analyst, I actually had a nightmare last night that I was back in banking. And like, that probably doesn't sound like the best marketing tool for a podcast about why you should get a job in the investment banking industry. But Mm -hmm. one of the things that I was really plagued by, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, was that feeling of imposter syndrome. And I want to use this as an opportunity to reflect on that and also try to correct that for kind of the next generation coming up through the industry. Because sometimes you work with great teachers and sometimes you work with people who frankly have no interest in teaching you. Mm -hmm. And it's up to you to identify mentors and advocates who are going to help you out. But like we say that, it's not always that easy. Sometimes you're like, how do I, how do I find those people? Where, where do they, where are they all hiding? Right? If you've been assigned to someone who's just like, here, read this book. And if you don't understand it, I don't know how to help you. And sometimes it just doesn't work that way. You need things explained in a way you can understand. And that's why I wanted to talk about one itty bitty thing, one tiny piece of jargon and market terminology that you would hear every single day, regardless of what division of the bank you are in, regardless of what hedge fund you are at, regardless of what asset manager, pension fund, insurance company, whatever it is. Anyone who has a job that is tied to finance, here's one of 50,000 pieces of jargon you're going to hear during the day. And you have, we talked about this in an episode with executive coach Helen Dyan. You have kind of like a grace period and when you can ask quote unquote dumb questions. Hey, this is a really basic thing, but like I never learned this and you can't learn it in school, by the way. Here's this one thing and I don't really understand it. And if you don't get that question answered satisfactorily during that window, you can't ask it later. And like, there were so many things for me because of whomever I was working with at the time who maybe just didn't teach something the way that I needed to learn it or wasn't interested in teaching it or whatever. And I wasn't necessarily always the best about identifying those mentors and advocates to teach me something the way I could understand it. So like, Mm -hmm. I went years and years and years of my career not really understanding the basic mechanics of individual pieces of knowledge and would just be like, well... I kind of know enough about it to sound like I know what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about. But if someone were to ask me like three follow-up questions or God forbid I had to do this in an interview going back in time, I would have totally flunked. And so we don't want that to happen to you. We're here to answer all the questions that you're afraid to ask. This is something that I think is actually really important because 
You know, it's so funny in the world of banking, and we've talked about this before, you had me who was sitting there in this banking world, the classic quote unquote IBD, and Jen's over there on the other side in the sales and trading world. And a lot of times while you're at the same bank and while they absolutely interact with each other, sometimes if you're working in kind of IBD proper, you don't think that you care that much about what's going on in the sales and trading side because it doesn't necessarily affect you a ton. And it's interesting because when you are doing evaluation for a client, one of the things we do all the time, whether it's comps, whether it's DCF, there's these inputs that go into it for a DCF, for example, what is the risk-free rate? And that is critical because if rates go up, it means the value of your business is going to go down because you have a larger denominator. But valuation, it's not just a formula. It's understanding how changes in those inputs are going to affect that value. And especially as you become someone who's not kind of just like a monkey sitting there working in a spreadsheet, as you want to become an investor, right? As you want to become someone more senior, what is so important is understanding what is driving those assumptions. And so while well, what we're going to get into is talking about the yields curve or talking about rates and Fed policy and stuff that you might think, you know what, me sitting here building my DCF or building my financial model, I don't care about that, right? Except you should, because when you want to now move beyond investment banking, if that is your goal, whether it's to go into private equity, by the way, rates really freaking matter in private equity, whether it is a hedge fund role, or whether it's just being a senior banker and getting in front of your clients and talking to them about being defensive about whatever it is, again, this is freaking critical. So even if you're a banking person, I beg of you, please listen to this because I know it's something that I wish like I had a better foundation and I'm really excited to hear Jen <laughs> explain it to me. So That was amazing, Kristen. I love that little TED talk. That was like how to not just be a good analyst, but how yeah. to be a great investor. And yeah. And that's the thing, right? You were talking in last week's episode about your interview at SAC, which I'm now going to call it, or SAC, <laughs> but talking about your interview at an equity long short hedge fund where mm -hmm. they said, why does your investment thesis differ from these research projections? Okay. Yeah. And that's going to be the question that determines whether or not you get the job. It's not just, did you build the model correctly? Because guess yeah. what? If you don't build the model correctly, you're not making it to the second round. Okay. Mm -hmm. But now it's why. And but also garbage in, garbage out. I don't care. Right. You can be the best freaking modeler, but if your assumptions are based on garbage, the number you spit out is meaningless. Mm -hmm. It's all about the assumptions. That is the That's most exactly critical part right. of the model. And so. again, what independent thought are you applying to the process? So yeah. anyways, today, again, we said this was going to be a skinny mini. This is probably going to be like a three hour episode. All right. So I wanted to call this episode. Minutes. I know. I wanted to call this episode, what the hell's going on in the markets? Who knows what the actual title is going to be, but listen, that was a great title because let me explain. Okay. In the last five weeks, 10 year U S treasuries have rallied almost hundred basis points. That's one full percentage point. And for those of you who are not bond people, that doesn't mean that you made 1% on your money. That means you made 8% on your money. So in five weeks, you beat the average expected S and P returns just for right. and one investment. And by the way, why is that? Why did you make 8%? Well, it's this whole idea of duration. Jen, you're going to need to do our duration 101 ooh, video. Oh, yeah. Because this is something that I literally learned five months ago when Jen explained duration to me. I have taught duration in classes before, but I never knew to apply it in this way. So hang tight and uh, be on the lookout for Jen's duration 101 video. Thanks, friend. Nice pitch. <laughs> So at the same time, stocks are up close to 11% over the same time period and credit spreads, which is a reflection of investor demand and appetite for credit risk, they're at 
the local tights of the year. So So in other words, I just want to reiterate this to put it in plain English for people who might not be familiar with this term credit spread. Credit is essentially investing in the riskiness of those bonds and the potential bankruptcy or not. That's exactly right. So we've got, again, just to recap, everything is up and it's up Mm -hmm. a lot. And from a macro standpoint, this is what we call a risk on trade, meaning any conceivable way you can put money at risk to make it earn more money for you, Mm -hmm. you're doing that. It's a buy everything trade. All right. Mm -hmm. But why? Right. If you open a newspaper today, do things seem good? Like not to get all Debbie Downer because I know I'm like a Bond person and Bond people are always Debbie. But like like Eeyore. But seriously, like remind me what's so good right now. Third quarter growth beat expectations. But like projections for Q4 are not great, especially Mm -hmm. because we have been in this higher interest rate regime. I sell houses during the day. Okay. No one's buying houses right now or they weren't Mm -hmm. at least until this rally in rates happened. And by the way, The cooling of economic growth is by design. The purpose of the high interest rate regime from the Federal Reserve was to curb inflation. So it's like mission accomplished, right? No more rate hikes, then on hold. But that's not actually what the market is pricing in. So in fact, right now, when we are recording this episode, there's currently a 72% chance of a 25 basis point cut at the March Fed meeting. So that's three months away. Okay, so which is it? Are things amazing and we should be getting limit long every single asset class? Or are things so bad that in what, like 90 freaking days, we're going to have to completely reverse course on monetary policy that's been in place since 2022? Mm -hmm. So listen, again, we are not in the business of giving you like brilliant investment theses. And that's actually, and for the record, if you ever hear a trade idea that comes out of my mouth, run the other direction and do exactly (laughs) the opposite of what I do. That's exactly right. I am terrible at investing. But what we really want to teach you about is how to sound smart about monetary Mm -hmm. policy and understand how to use that information in informing whatever it is you're doing. What I want to teach you guys today is futures and how they relate to the macro outlook so that you can, I don't know, freaking wow your interviewers at your investment banking or hedge fund job interview, okay? Or at least Mm -hmm. like, I don't know. When you go home for Christmas and New Year's this year, like go impress someone around the table when they're like, "Mm, why aren't you married with kids yet? Be like, well, did you know that the market is pricing in this percentage chance of a Fed cut in three months? Okay, but in all seriousness, this is something that no one is really going to teach you in training for your job. You're kind of just expected to know it. And then they're going to think you're an idiot if you don't know it, which is like a fun Mm -hmm. theme on Wall Street that we're really trying to do away with. Okay, the whole Mm -hmm. if you have to ask, you don't deserve to know thing. It's the opposite of what we're about here. So, okay, remember, like five seconds ago, I said that the market is pricing in a 72% chance of a 25 basis point Fed cut at the March meeting. But like, how the hell do I know that? Did I I go out and survey the market? Like, what is the market? Who the hell is that? No. Mm -hmm. What I did is I took a look at something called the Fed Funds Futures Market. So let's back up a second. What is a Fed Funds Futures Contract? Well, remember, a futures contract is a derivative. It's an agreement between two parties to buy or sell something at some price at some date in the future. That thing can be bushels of corn, it can be barrels of oil, or it can be an underlying interest rate. In this case, specifically, the federal funds rate, which is the rate at which banks and other depository institutions can lend their excess reserves to each other overnight. This rate is set by the Federal Reserve, which is the Central Bank of the United States. Which, by the way, you can follow on Instagram. 
You now can follow on Instagram. It was so funny because Jerome Powell basically put out this video and he looked so uncomfortable. I felt so bad for him. But listen, I feel for him because it took a lot. You dragged me onto social media (laughs) kicking and screaming. So I I get it, Jerome. I get it. Just give it a few more months and you'll be dancing on TikTok. But anyway, so yeah. So again, Federal Reserve, Central Bank of the United States. And the interest rate that they set is the key monetary policy tool that they have to either stimulate growth or try to cool inflation. If they cut rates, they make it easier and cheaper to borrow money and help an economy that's headed towards a recession or a depression. If they hike rates, which is what they've been doing since 2022, it is to combat inflation, which is rising prices. And remember, remember, by the way, we have how many years? 15 years of rates at zero. And so this is actually a new thing. Most of our young listeners, I mean, this is the first time that you guys have seen any meaningful interest rates for all intents and purposes. Money's been free ever since you were, I don't know, probably born. Everyone is so young. We just answered a message from a high schooler this morning. But yeah, since the crisis of 2008, the Fed has been in overall an accommodative monetary policy cycle. Despite some rounds of quantitative tightening, overall, the theme has been low interest rates. So here we are. We're now in a high rate regime and suddenly everyone's saying that they're going to cut. All right. So listen, if it's tough for you to think about interest rates as an underlying commodity, like barrels of oil or bushels of corn, just think about it as a widget. Okay. If I agree to buy widgets a month from now at $100, And in one month, those widgets are trading at $110. I've just made $10. Just think of it that way if if up and down on rates doesn't come naturally to you. So we're going to talk about some actual numbers here. And like, if you want, you can follow along. Like most people are driving or walking their dog or I shouldn't say that with Renee in the room. Oh, her ears just got... Um, (laughs) doing whatever. So like, if you happen to be following along with the pen and paper, cool. We're going to do some very simple arithmetic here. So Mm -hmm. try to keep up. And if you can't, that's totally okay, but it should be easy. And the great thing is too, you don't need to work at a bank or a hedge fund or have access to a Bloomberg terminal if you're at a bank and being like, I'm an investment banker, I can't do this, okay? You can literally do this with Safari or Google Chrome. So you're going to pull open a browser window and you're going to go to cmegroup.com. I'm going to do this, by the way, as we do this, because I haven't done it. Do it as we do it. All right, cmegroup.com. All right, group.com. I am your guinea pig here, Jen. Okay. Yay. Okay. Oh, I'm teaching that. By the way, guys, I am teaching this to Kristen in real time. We yes. did not rehearse this episode. Not that we rehearse <laughs> our episodes. So mm-hmm. for the official court transcript of this podcast, Kristen is learning how Fed Funds Futures work in real time. Okay. So I'm I'm on cmegroup.com. Now what do I do? Did you close all your other browser windows? Because I know you always have about 55 open. No, I have a thousand open. I'll close like five. <laughs> Watch, watch. I'll like freaking close the, the Riverside tab. So I don't trust I know, myself. I know, yeah. We're going to end this recording. <laughs> okay. So I have this open. All right. Next, okay, what do great. I do? Okay. So now you're going to go to the markets tab. Ooh, okay. You're going to choose interest rates. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hold on. Interest rates. Uh, browse by corn. It has like a whole list of these things. I see yeah. 10-year T-note. Nope. Is that no? Sofer? Nope. You don't want any. Nope. You just want to go to interest rates. See, oh, I found it. Okay. So there's three columns. There is featured products, browse by reference. I'm going over to interest rates, which is in the middle. It says browse by. Okay. There we go. I'm on interest rates. Now what do I do? I love this, by the way, because Kristen has had to walk me through so many. She'll send me like screen recordings. I've literally had to turn on your phone pretty much to try to help <laughs> me make stuff on social media. So this is, turnabout is fair play. Um, okay. So once you're in interest rates, now you're going to scroll down and select Fed funds. Okay. Hold on. So we have swap futures. Oh, I found it. Okay. It's like treasuries so far and now I can see Fed funds. Okay. Yay. All right. Now you're going to click on the quotes 
tab. You see how it says overview and then to the right. Yes, I do. Okay, fabulous. Down here. Okay. By the way, if I can do this, I am so bad at all this stuff. So if I am following along, Jen is, you get an A plus. Okay. Now what do I do? (laughs) You should see a whole long line of quotes pull up. You'll see a bunch of alphanumeric codes in the left-hand column, like ZQZ3, ZQF4, ZQG4, ZQH4. Yeah, yeah. So it has like the dates. It has, yeah, it has the December 2023, Jan 2024, Feb, Soho Lunch, and then the Z. To the right of each of those codes, there's a price, like 94 spot 6675, 94 spot 67, 94 spot 705. Okay, can I – oh, yes, the last. Okay, and then – because then it has the change. So there's one column that says last with the price, and then it has the change. Got it. Okay, yep, I see that. It kind of looks like reading a board at the airport with like all the flight codes and the times they're because they're off, in right? red, yeah, and they're in yeah, red yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, green. Exactly. Like- but if you know what you're reading and you apply some basic arithmetic, you can instantly understand this crazy lofty concept of what is the market pricing in for the expectations of future monetary policy. So we're going to translate. Okay, so ZQ is the CME's code for Fed funds 30 day futures contracts. So mm-hmm. you can ignore the first two letters of every single one of these codes now that you know what you're looking at. The Mm -hmm. second half of each character code tells us the month and then the year that the contract expires. It's all really freaking simple, but you also have to know and memorize the cipher for the code for each of these futures contracts. And like when you're first starting out, that's a lot of new information to cover as you're already learning a new language. Again, ZQZ3 is the 30-day Fed Funds Futures contract for December of 2023. F4 is for January of 2024, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. By the way, so this is counterintuitive because like, why wouldn't it just be either A or J? Either make it the first letter of the... The, like the name of the month. Alphabetical. It, it like, is not intuitive. Yeah. Z is December. H is March. Like you just you and you. X and is you November. To, like why? <laughs> you start to memorize these things and they become mm-hmm. second nature. But when you're first starting out, you might learn this when you're taking your series three and be like, I studied for that test. I'm going to forget it all instantly. So mm-hmm. this becomes second nature. But if no one's explaining this to you again, how the hell are you supposed to figure this out? Right. Right. So anyways. Now we're going to talk about the prices because now we know what our little codes are. Each of these contracts, again, corresponds to a different month's expiry. So now we're going to talk about our prices. And just like everything else in fixed income, these prices are upside down. (laughs) So to find the underlying Fed funds rate referenced by the contract price, you take 100 (laughs) minus the price. So the price on the December 2023 contract of 94 spot 6675 means that based on that current price, The market is expecting that the average of all of the Fed funds overnight rate sets in the 31-day month of December are expected to be 100 minus 94 spot 6675, which is 5 spot 3325, which is the current Fed funds rate, okay? So, yay. Or (laughs) 5.3%. 5.33, exactly. We've done two things. One, we've confirmed that our arithmetic is correct, right? And two, we now have some information. So again, today mm-hmm. is December 6th. The next Fed funds rate announcement is expected to happen on December 13th, literally a week from today. So remember that this contract for the whole month of December settles based on the average of all of the daily Fed fund sets in the month of December. We know mm-hmm. all the days that have already happened, the first however many business days there have been in December, like two and a half or whatever. We already know those and nothing's happened. There's been no change in rates. And the fact that the contract is trading at 94 spot 6675, corresponding to a rate of 5 spot 3325, tells us that the market is pricing in no change at Wednesday's Fed meeting. 
Hold yeah, on. Because so, let me, let me, let me, hold on. I'm just going to do one yeah. thing quickly because this is how my brain works. So I'm just mm-hmm. quickly putting this in. So 94.6675. So again, mm-hmm. we have, as you said, that gets us to 53325. What, what is the current Fed funds right now? It is the 53325. Five, three, three, five. It's 53325. Got it. Yep. Mm-hmm. So 5.33 is the Fed funds rate as of exactly. right now. So that makes sense. So basically like 100 minus the 94.66 gets us to the exact Fed rate. Hence, nothing's going to change in a week because exactly. if we look at the whole month of uh, December, then if it's still that after the Fed announces, it means that they're expecting no change. Got it. This is all making sense, Jen. Yay. Awesome. <laughs> now let's look at the January contract. The January contract is trading at 94 spot six, seven, which for all intents and purposes is telling the us same. the same thing. It's such a tiny incremental change. It doesn't mean anything. Okay. Yep. Now what's really cool for purposes of our example here is it just so happens that the January Fed meeting is on the very last day of that month. It just so happens to be a little bit of luck yeah. for us, okay? Yeah, yeah, so in yeah, this yeah. case, you have 30 calendar days, however many business days that equates to, worth of observations with no change, barring an emergency meeting, of course. Mm-hmm. And then that one observation possible with a chance of a move. So you really have to know when you're calculating these probabilities, the calendar of the Fed meetings and how that lines up with the expiry of the futures contracts. But basically all the Jan contract is telling you is that there's currently no chance of an emergency ease between mm. now and the expiry of the Jan contract. Sorry, what were you going to say? And quick question. Does the Fed meet every month? No, it doesn't. There's a, You have oh. to look at their calendar. There's meetings are different every single year. So <laughs> you have okay. to have one browser window open with your Fed meetings and another browser window open with your CME prices, okay? The first Got thing it. Do. So I just, just, again, to recap, so it sounds like December 15th-ish is when we have the one meeting and then Jan 31 is for the you Jan one? Oh, you okay. Awesome. Cool. Exactly. All we know now is that no one's expecting anything to happen between now and January 31st. Cool. Hang on. We've got that one day in January, right? Yeah. Let's look at the Feb contract because the Fed contract is going to be backwards looking and tell us what people are expecting about that last day in January. Yep. The Feb contract is trading at 94.71. Okay, drama. <laughs> All right, so the Feb contract is implying that there is a chance that something happens on that very last day of January. Mm. And then every day in the month of February, there is some likelihood that Fed funds sets below 533. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So because so I, I have, yeah, the mm-hmm. nine, nine, seven, one. So that means five, two, nine. 94 five, spot seven, one. Exactly. 94 spot seven, one. So five, two, nine. So yeah. So they're expecting maybe, but is there, is there a meeting then? Or it's just there because it's no from the prior meeting. meeting. There is no Got meeting in it. February. So that is the information about January's meeting. Ah, okay. And right, like the fact again, that it's- the meeting's mm-hmm. on the 31st day of the month. The yep. contract that settles for January, the January mm-hmm. contract, has 30 days of no change, mm-hmm. right? And then one and data one point. Day. That data point yep. is meaningless. And actually, with the mechanics of how Fed funds... It's it like wouldn't settle until February. Yeah. Exactly. So this is telling us about that likelihood of what's going to happen on Jan 31st. And so, is the fact that it's only dropping by, you know, it's five spot three, three, and it's going down to five spot four two, basis nine, points. Yeah. Basis points. So is that, is that basically saying that there is a chance, but it's a chance of it. So there's like X exactly. percent that it's, nothing's going to happen and we, then X percent of 25 basis points drop. You got it. And that's exactly how we are going to ballpark the market's expectation of a Fed cut at the January 31st meeting. 
So By the way, Jen, this that- is entirely brand new information. This is not like friends. Like, this is enti- – no, no. This is like enti- – <laughs> like, I am literally – I did not know any of this. Like, hand to God. No one I, like, does. Did not know any no of this. one right, does right. unless you have worked in this industry for a long time where someone has, like, pulled you aside and be like, hey, do you have half an hour? You want to learn? Yeah. <laughs> but so, yeah. okay. If we assume that the likely increments in which the Fed moves are 25 basis points – and by the way, there is nothing saying they can only mm. move in 25 basis point increments, okay? For the record, they have historically moved by more than that when they need to make big yeah. changes. But yeah. it's the typical increment when we think about these things. So we can do a little math here. Again, the difference mm-hmm. between the Feb contract at 94.71 and 94.67 for January is four basis points, like you said. Mm-hmm. So if, again, assuming 25 basis points is the increment in which we move, four basis points divided by 25 basis points is 15%. So we can interpret this price action as saying there is a 15% chance that the Fed cuts in January. Mind right? Does that make blown. Sense? But yeah. all right. So now that we've done that one little example, we're going to do one more so you can understand how we get back to what I originally said about the markets pricing in this really high probability that there's going to be a cut at the March meeting. Now, okay. again, because of the weird Fed schedule, remember, there's no meeting in February. The March meeting is the next meeting after January 31st. Yep. The March contract is trading at 94 spot 76. And the March meeting is on the 20th of the month. So that means mm-hmm. approximately two-thirds of the monthly sets are going to happen before the rate decision. Meanwhile, the April contract is trading at 94 spot 85. And the next Fed meeting isn't until May 1st. So we have two contracts now that are giving us information only about March's meeting. So if you want to be like really precise, because Kristen's our banker, you can build yourself a nice little spreadsheet of all the business oh, things from March 20th oh, to the I end of April and plot this all out. But I okay, am doing let's this save while some time. Speak, for the record. Let's save some time, okay? Because this is a really nice clean example because of how the meetings stack up, okay? All I'm going to do is subtract 94 spot 85 from 94 spot 67, right? Which mm-hmm. equals... 18 basis points. Mm-hmm. 18 divided by 25 is 72. So with this quick and dirty arithmetic, I've now assigned a mathematical probability to a rate cut of 25 basis points at the March FOMC. What we've also done is built a mini yield curve. Okay, this is how yield curves, the term structure of interest rates, are built. We look at forward market expectations for interest rates in order to do what's called bootstrap a forward curve of expectations, okay? And that is how interest rate derivatives are priced. You have underlying treasuries that kind of underpin what the current market rate is, that current risk-free rate for all of those different points on the yield curve. But we can use derivatives contracts like Fed Funds Futures, like SOFR Futures, all that fun stuff to help us bootstrap out this curve. It used to be the euro dollar curve, but since LIBOR is no longer traded, we've got Fed Funds Futures and we've got SOFR Futures where there are a lot of observable transactions and it's really, really liquid in order to help us build out at those points. You know, what's interesting about LIBOR before LIBOR got canceled is that there were so few transactions that when things got bad, there were no trades. Like you wouldn't transact mm. if there was tons of stress in the system. So there weren't enough observable data points to really get yeah. an accurate reflection of that as an indicator of stresses to the system. Whereas Fed funds and SOFR, there's tons of transactions and observable because SOFR is tied to GC and there's millions and millions. And GC, uh, just uh, remind us what GC is. 
general collateral. So that is the rate corresponding to repurchase agreements. And we're going to do a whole skinny mini on repos and reverse repos at the Fed as the tool of quantitative easing and quantitative tightening that nobody understands and is the most critical thing towards understanding the entire money supply. But anyways, <laughs> um, because there's tons of observable transactions, these are really reliable rates, right? Yeah. And that's what we want. We want reliable rates based on tons and tons and tons of data that aren't easily manipulable and are going to be accurate reflections of stresses in the system and market expectations. So anyways, we've given ourselves now a mathematical framework within which to take a critical look at this massive risk on move that I talked about at the beginning of the episode across asset classes and truly say to ourselves like, what the hell is going on the market? Because again, (laughs) we just run through this math and it's like, everybody's expecting a fab rate cut in three months, yet you're supposed to buy everything in sight. Which is it? Is everything great? Or is everything really, really bad? Why is there all this exuberance if we are in fact only three months away from a Fed cut? So listen. So crazy. We are not trying to give you investment advice here, like I've said a million times, and we're going to actually put a little disclaimer (laughs) on the (laughs) podcast this week and all weeks going forward, just so we're really clear on that. But like you now, having learned this, can go out and do something really smart with this knowledge, whether it's ace your interview, whether it's no longer feel stupid for not knowing this when you're a junior analyst starting your career. Or whether it's, again, take this kind of information and weaponize it to make you a much more attractive, critical thinking candidate for the next level interview and whatever it is you want to do. So that's what we're trying to do with these skinny mini episodes. This is going to be like a 45 minute long episode at this rate anyway. So our next one we're hoping will be like 15 minutes long, but we're trying to teach you guys stuff that is more complex than we can teach in like a 45 second long Instagram video, but isn't necessarily worthy of an hour long podcast. And hopefully we can do more of these in the future and we hope you guys enjoy them. Yeah. And so for next week, just to give you guys a peek at what we want to be doing as we get into the holiday season, we want to do an ask me anything uh, type episode or ask us anything. So we'll put up and ask us anything on Instagram. Again, we just got a lot of new followers, which is amazing, but it does mean there's probably a lot more questions. So we will answer some on Instagram and then we will take some if there's any that we think are really kind of interesting and spend a little bit longer discussing next week. And if you haven't already done so, please leave us a written five-star review. Again, it really helps us grow in the rankings. And anything else, Jen? No, that's it. We are so excited for all of the new listeners here. We love you guys. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you guys. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to The Wall Street Skinny. We are more than just a podcast. So follow us on TikTok and Instagram at The Wall Street Skinny. If you're a visual learner, we have content that will help get you up the curve from valuation to Excel to Bond Fundamentals 101. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our YouTube channel where we will be publishing in-depth tutorials on all this and more. 